Good morning, everyone. Nice to have those of you here who are here and those of you online who are online. And there is hope, isn't there, that maybe next week things will be uh, opened up and we'll be able to have more of you here. So we're looking forward to that. <coughs> Happy Valentine's Day. There, I said it. Um, no, really, we, uh, we love you, each one, and uh, I pray that we can love one another better with the love that, that God has shown us. So we're here this morning. We've been worshiping the Lord, considering who He is and who we are because of, because of that, because of who He is, our identity. A lot of talk today, these days, about identity. Uh, how do you identify yourself this morning? Well, if it says a child of God... Um, there's something very beautiful in that, and we'll be discovering more about that as we look into the Lord's Word. But before we go any further, we're going to uh, just bow before God and come into His presence in prayer and ask Him to work in our hearts and lives this morning. Father, You are here. We've been communicating with You through worship. We've been lifting up Your name in song, and I pray honoring You, not just with our lips, not just with the words, but with our hearts, as we consider that you are God. You're God and all that that means. You are the creator. You are the one who is at work in history, the one who is, is teaching us through that history, even as we look into your word this morning. And you are the God who is with us each day, who is present in this world, who, uh, who wants to wants to lead us through this life, showing us compassion and mercy, and guiding us and helping us amidst all that we face and bringing us to a true understanding of who we are and of the hope that we have in you. So I just pray that you'd lead us this morning, lead us deeper into a relationship with you as we look at your truth and as we understand how it applies directly to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity uh, to be together, to worship, to truly worship you, the God who is. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would just lead as, as we open your word this morning so that we can hear your voice above all else. We pray this in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Well, last week we talked about when God's grace doesn't seem like it's enough. And uh, chapter 16 of Genesis, we see how uh, Abraham and Sarah, they thought God was delaying in working out his purposes in their life. And we often feel the same way. We want to see things come to conclusion. We want to see justice done. We want to see uh, us getting what we figure we deserve and we go, you know what, we can help this. And they tried. But we often think, you know, it would be easier or quicker or better if. But the problem is, when we push, we end up fulfilling our purposes and not God's. And with God, He doesn't just want the end goal. He, he's working through the journey. He wants to make us into the people that we should be. And so he takes us on this <clears throat> journey of faith and trust in him and his plans. And we need to follow him on that journey. Even though it's challenging, even though we don't have all the answers, we need to obey. And of course, uh, if we end up with what we think we deserve in our hands and we haven't gone with God through that journey, then we end up really empty handed not being the people who we should be when we get there to use what it is we have now in the way. And so Abraham and Sarah were on that journey. They learned, we learned with them. And as we move into chapter 17, we find ourselves at another point in that cycle where God confirms his covenant love to his people. Now we've seen this cycle and we see how uh, God confirms, you are my covenant people, and his covenant people fail. And we see how he confirms his covenant uh, when 
they succeed and obey as well. And definitely, we appreciate it much more. We always appreciate it more when we see the, the heroes of the story, the people we think are the heroes of the story, obeying God. And then God rewards them or, or with, with this confirmation. But you know, I think we learn more about who we are and who God is, who we are in relationship with God through the times of failure. Because we understand that, yeah, we fail, we struggle, uh, we cannot do it on our own. And we see God in these times as such a merciful God, a God who understands that we are weak, that we cannot obey, that we cannot succeed. And he, he comes and he picks us up and he says, you know what, I still love you. And I meant it when I said that I will love you forever. And so this is what we see happening here. God saying, I, I still mean it. And in this chapter, he confirms the identity of his covenant people. Their real identity. Who he says they are. And not who they are right at that moment. And you think about that and you go, well, wouldn't we say that right now this is who we really are? Yeah, we would say that, wouldn't we? We would say that this is the reality that, that matters and that this is who we really are. But to do that, we would not understand God's sovereign authority over this world, over everything that's in it. God's sovereign authority over our history. Because he just doesn't see us as this person in this moment in time. He sees us as the person that he called in history past, who he chose to be his child. And he sees us with the plans of who we will be in the end. And this all because of who we are in our relationship with him through Jesus Christ. And so... We try to understand this. We try to, from our limited perspective, accept what God says about us. And certainly, the psalm we read this morning helps us to understand that more. Because it, it talks about God, the Creator, the one who through His voice makes things that are not things that are. He calls things into existence. And this is beautiful. This is a beautiful thing because in that psalm as well, it, it says, he looks on man. And what is man? What is it? The psalmist says, what do you think of us, God? Who is man? Who am I that you would even bother to think about me? I'm, I'm just a, a small part of your creation. Why am I anything that you would you would send your only son into this world. That he would die on the cross to pay for my sins. What is it that you think about us? Why, how do you see us? And you know, there's an interesting thing. We, we're studying through the book of Romans and it, it's fascinating because in Romans, the part we're in right now is talking about Ad, uh, Abraham and his calling and all that, uh, all that went on during that time theologically. And there's a verse in there in Romans 14, 17. And this is what it says. It says, As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. We'll see those words in this morning's passage. God's saying this to Abraham. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. And we understand that, we accept that, when it comes to creation, the creation of the world, we say God created ex nihilo, which means he created out of nothing. But the application here is that he calls us. <laughs> and we are 
simply a, a little part of his creation. We are nothing, but he calls us something. He calls us something. He says we are something. And what is that something? Can we believe it? Well, if the God of creation, the God who calls things that are not into existence can do that, if he can move planets around or make planets that were not, can he make something out of us? We know he can. So this morning we look at chapter 17, and there are three things, as usual. We're going to see uh, a new signature, a new sign, and a new sun. Okay? Three words, if you want to encapsulate it in three words, it's signature, sign, and son. We're going to hear how God identifies his people. And I trust through his spirit, understand the implications that this has on our life. So let's begin reading in, in Genesis chapter 17. Let's get into the story. And there it says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. And said to him, I am God Almighty. Before he talks about Abraham's identity, he identifies himself, doesn't he? I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Now God has already made a covenant in word with Abram. He's gone through a covenantal ceremony with Abraham, but now he's saying, you walk with me and we're going to work this out. We're going to make this covenant in real time. Back in here, verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. I'm glad of that because all the way along preaching, I keep going, Abraham, Abraham, and his name's not Abraham yet. It was Abram. So now I can say Abraham. Uh, You probably caught me on that. But anyways, he says, your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Well, how is it that God sees Abram? Verse 5 spells it out clearly. He says, you were called, simply called Abram. That was your tag, that was your title, but you will be. He doesn't just say you'll be called, he says you will be Abram. Or Abraham. Now I can't say the new one. You see what happens? It moves from Abram, which is exalted father, to Abraham. And that one little syllable in there, that addition means father of multitudes. Now, first of all, Abram wasn't an exalted father because he didn't have any kids. But now he's being ramped up to Abraham, father of a multitude, and He still doesn't have kids. But this is what God says. I have made you a multitude of nations. See how God's talking to him in the past tense? I've decided this. And to God, according to his sovereign reality, this is a done deal. As far as he's concerned... It's already happened. You are a father of multitudes. I've, I've decided that. It's done. It's, it's, it's over. It's happened. It's like it's happened. God declares this to be even when it is not yet. Because he's God. 
He's God. He alone can do that. Now, if people do that, uh, if people make great claims, say, oh yeah, I'm going to do this and that, and you know, we used to call that arrogance and overconfidence. But now we've seen through the changes in our society, as society agrees more and more with the deifying of, of mankind, they think this is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. If you make great claims, if you, if you say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that, no problem. They think, oh, look at that guy. It's so wonderful. His, his, he knows who he is. But how many times does that not work out? And if, if it does work out, what do we do? We, we put that person on a pedestal. We, we think of them as God. And they, they say things like, you can be anything you want to be. And we think of that one person who made it to the, the pinnacle of uh, their sport or uh, a political career or something. And, and we go, yeah, anyone can be anything they want to be. We base our reality on one person winning the lottery. And then 99% of the people are just shelling out money on tickets and losing and losing and losing and, empty, and ending up empty-handed in the end. And if we were to have a grasp, a true grasp on reality, we would look at the people who failed not just on the one guy who ended up at the top. You see, we can be arrogant, can't we? But only God, only God has the ability to call things the way they are. To declare things to be when they don't seem. That's what it says in Romans 4, 17. He called Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. Not just a multitude of people. A multitude of nations. He declared that to be true. Now, even when we talk about spiritual things, we have to be careful. Be careful because there are false religions out there made up of people declaring things to be true. We know of the, the word of faith movement and those people are saying, you know, you just say it and it'll happen. But think of what they're saying. They're not so concerned with God and His purposes. They're concerned with their purposes. They want to be healthy and wealthy. And if you keep repeating it enough times to yourself, they say, it's going to happen. Your health will improve. The money will come. And once again, they look at the one guy who won the lottery. That one guy who stands up there and has convinced a whole lot of gullible people to send him money and they go, wow, wow. Worked for him. <laughs> it's going to work for me too. If I can only believe hard enough, I'll get what I want. No. This is not about declaring. Us declaring what we want to be true. This is about looking at what God says. What God says is true. What God said will be true. What God says will be worked out. It's not about our natural cravings. It's not about believing we're God and we can make these declarations. It's about the one true God saying this will come to pass. And it's about us having faith in Him. Faith that these purposes that glorify His name will be worked out. It's not about us looking for present comforts and greed. Well, we, we see that with Abram. We see, we know the whole story with him. We know how it worked out. We know that he was, 
and has become a father of multitudes. That same faith that he received from God, others have received and are all part of that same family. Not because he was such a great father, but because in Christ we are connected to him. Because of true faith in God. We see how it worked for him. But we still might be scratching our head and going, what would God call us? Who does he say we are today? Well, we don't have to wonder. If we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, many times in the New Testament, we receive this title and, and here it is plainly said to the Corinthian people, it says, to the church of God that is at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And we see that one title in there, that title that has been uh, changed, used, that title, Saints. And we recognize, we see here, that it actually says called, we are called saints. And Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, you are called saints. You are saints. And that encapsulates all of the other things that God says about us. You know, we could say God says we're justified right before him. He says we're righteous, we're holy. And we look at our lives and we go, really, am I? I struggled to put one day together of following God faithfully. How can he say that I'm holy? How can he call me a saint? And we see there in that verse that it's all based on Jesus Christ. It's all based on what he's done. We can't get puffed up about it because it's not us. It's him. We even remember those people who we share this title of saint with, those Corinthian people. We read the rest of that letter and we say they struggled. There was a great struggle to live out that holiness that they were called to. They failed. So there's nothing to get proud about here. But we can say, we can claim, because God says we can, that title. So as you go out into this week, you can be saint, fill in the blank, whoever you are. You want to throw people off next time you sign a check, sign it, saint, Steve, St. Dallas, <laughs> that one sounds kind of interesting, we haven't heard that one, we could say St. George, and yeah, there was a St. George, but you, you think about it, if we could capture that reality, God says, I am a saint, and, and he understands I struggle to be obedient, but he knows the work that he has completed in my life, in and through Jesus Christ, and where I will be in the end, I will be with him. And so we can claim that title. Because of Christ. And that was the same for Abraham. That was the only reason that Abraham could accept this new handle, this new title, father of multitudes. Because it would be completed through the work of Jesus Christ. Because it was through Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, that we, who are of every tribe and every nation, could share faith, that same faith with Abraham. Abraham's faith was in a Messiah that was coming. Our faith is in that same Messiah who came. We're connected to Abraham through him. So that's the new, the new signature that Abraham has 
a promising new signature. Things hadn't happened yet, but that was God's word to him, and he could take that word to the bank. The same is true of us, his saints, today. Now, there's a new sign of this promise, and we get into that in verse 9. Let's continue to read, excuse me, a little bit here. It says, And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant. God's going to give Abraham something to do. He's not just going to sleep while God completes the sacrifice. He's got a job. You and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you, your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Something in my reading this week, in my study, found out this idea of circumcision, the cutting of the foreskin, it was something they did amongst the cultures back then. But it was a sign of moving into manhood. It was a right of manhood. But here God was taking that right and saying, I am going to capture my own purposes here. I'm going to use it as a symbol to communicate the covenant that I have with my people. Let's continue to read. Uh, Every male throughout the generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house, he who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. Everybody in the house, all the males should be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh shall be cut off from his people, for he's broken my covenant. So not only did God set Abraham apart, but he gave him a sign. Something symbolic of that being set apart-ness. And it was this, this rite of circumcision. Now this is significant as it is the first ceremonial thing that Abraham was asked to do beyond building an altar and worshiping God. Because of its significance, it is spoken here as, this is it, this is the covenant. You do this, and you'll be showing your obedience, your willingness to walk with me in this special relationship. It's sort of like spoken of throughout this passage as though that's circumcision, that's it, that's the whole covenant. But it is the first part, the first ceremony. And so it's sort of, it's a, what they call a synecdoche. It's where they use one word to represent everything that it is. And even after there are more ceremonial things added, when God gives the law to Moses, they don't talk about all of those individual things. They still say those who are of the circumcision. Those who are keepers of the law. Those who have turned and said, yes, I will obey. I will follow God. And so here, they just talk about it as, that's keeping the covenant. It's kind of like when we say, uh, you've got new wheels. They don't mean you bought a new set of snow tires. They mean you bought the whole car. And this is what we're talking about here. They kept the covenant with God. They did what he had asked them to do. But you know, that ceremony, that requirement that God gave them, that responsibility in the covenant was simply symbolic. A symbolic ceremony to perform personally, but it was not the focus It was an outward demonstration of what should be an invisible relationship with God. The unfortunate thing is whenever we do something outward, there's a danger that it overshadows the inward reality. And as we read through the scriptures, we see that 
There was so much more than just the cutting of a piece of skin. We could read once again, going to Romans chapter uh, 4 and verse 12, it says, uh, And to make him the father of the circumcised, Abraham, but listen, who were not merely circumcised, but who also walked in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was even circumcised. Paul's saying, you know what? The, the ceremony, it was important to show that obedience, but more important was the faith that we were to have. If we go back a chapter to Romans chapter 2, verse 28, it says, For no one is a Jew who's merely one outwardly, nor is circumcised outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. But the Spirit, by the Spirit, not by the letter, His praise is not from man, but from God. And we even go back into the Old Testament. We could pull out these passages that talk about being, having circumcised hearts. And so it was a symbol. It was a ceremony. But the point was that we are, if we're part of the covenant, if we're in a faith relationship with God, we are separated unto Him. We're cut off from sin. We're separated from sin and we're separated to God. Now over the years, we've seen people try and say, well, that was the old covenant. What about the new covenant? And there is some confusion because people say, well, baptism. Baptism is a symbol of our connection to, to, to God through faith in the new covenant. And so people have tried to make this direct correlation with circumcision. They say, well, they circumcised everybody in the home. All the males. So in the new covenant, that should happen. Infant baptism. But you know, as we read through these things, as we study them, I sort of came to an understanding this week. This is it. This is why there's this confusion, this connection. Because the correlation there is a correlation. We see the same things. A symbolic act of the old covenant, circumcision. A symbolic act of the new covenant, baptism. They're representing, to represent our faith in God. But the, the connection is through Christ. And the old covenant right, that circumcision, was about something that would be future. Historically, wasn't it? It was pointing to, well, it was talking about a covenant that was cut with God that would be finally cut in Jesus Christ. A future event. And so, every Jewish boy was circumcised, looking to the future in hopes, in a hope, a hope placed in Christ. A hope that that infant would be a follower of God in true faith. But baptism, what is it doing? It's looking back on something that has already happened in Jesus Christ. We're just immersed in Christ. And it is, it is a rite that shows what has already happened in the believer's life. That's why what we have taught to us in the scriptures is believer's baptism. A baptism for those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. The one is not directly connected, but they both point to our relationship with God in faith through Jesus Christ. And you know, it's interesting, trying to separate those two things or, or not trying to get those two things confused as some people do and say, oh no, the one is the same as the other. It, it, one of the most compelling things that, that shows me the difference between the two is in the New Testament, the Jews said, no, no, no. If people are going to come to Christ, they have to be circumcised. And in that whole conversation about circumcision being a part of the law, and Christ fulfilling the law, and it no longer being necessary. Not once did they say, baptism has taken over for circumcision. 
Baptism is our circumcision. And no, baptism was something completely new that pointed to Christ. And we see that's a symbolic thing. And as the one focused on the cutting off or the separation from sin and being separated to God, baptism, as we read about it, focuses on our relationship with God in Christ and that we are baptized, immersed into Him and raised to new life. I want to read a couple of verses for you. Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 down through 13, it says this, In Him, in Jesus Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision not made, or sorry, in a circumcision made without hands. Well, what kind of a circumcision is made without hands? That circumcision of the heart, that faith. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then in verse 12 it says, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your faith, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. I would encourage you to go back to that passage because it's a passage that brings together both of these things. Both of these things, both of these rites, and point us in the exact correct direction to Jesus Christ. To what he accomplished for us on the cross. And we will remember that in Christ, God says, yes, we're separated like Abraham, separated from sin, separated to him. And what was shown symbolically in circumcision, the time of Abraham and following, in the old covenant, we see now our connection to God in Christ represented in baptism as we are raised to new life, as we are separated to God. We're part of the church. The church which literally means called out ones. The ones who have been separated. And we're to agree in faith that that is true. In the world, but not of the world. In the world, but by God's grace, called to something much greater. Life in Jesus Christ. So let's believe. Let's obey. Let's walk with Him. Let's continue on. That was the sign of the promise. Now we, learn, we, we move into the third section, a name for the son of the promise. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, or Sarah, I, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Princess. You like that? It's princess. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed to himself. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. 
Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. God had said to Abraham, you're going to have a son. Abraham and Sarah took another route and Abraham, we see that great man of faith is still struggling, isn't he? He's still struggling to comprehend. How can this ever work? There's no baby. Rationally speaking, there's no chance that there will be a baby. (laughs) And God says, no, this is the baby's name. God doesn't negotiate with Abraham over the impossibilities. He doesn't try and explain how this is all going to take place. In fact, he never really does explain how he's going to bypass biological science and do a miracle. He just says, oh, baby's name going to be Isaac. Isaac, in their language, means laughter as a result of their Laugh of disbelief. We see Abraham here laughing. I cannot believe this is going to happen. And we know Sarah laughs in the future. And we say, how could they laugh at God? How could Abraham laugh at what God was saying? But you know what? He was laying on his face while he was laughing about this. Two times in this passage it says, God was laying on his face before God. So if you're ever going to laugh about something God is communicating to you, make sure you do it. In that kind of a position. So we don't offend the God who is over all things. The almighty God. His name shall be called laughter. Not only because of their laugh of disbelief. But also hearkens us to the laugh of delirious joy. That came after that child was born. God remembered this couple. And he, this son of promise, would be a reminder of the promised salvation that was to come through the promised son. Remember, ever since Eve, God said, there'll be a child. And they knew that the promise, Adam and Eve, came through Seth. There were the Sethites who produced Abraham And now we have Isaac. Salvation will come. Abraham struggled to accept this impossibility. That it could be possible. But we see how he responded afterwards. He calls Ishmael. His half son to himself. And all the men of the house together. And they go through this rite of circumcision. And you know we're always concerned about exclusiveness, exclusion, but you know we see an amazing thing here. We see God saying, "You know what? No matter what tribe, what nation, they're willing to join themselves with you, Abraham. They can be my children as well. They need to be included as well." And I think about this sign of obedience, this this willingness to obey. I mean, this was bigger than when Abraham said to his household, okay guys, pack up, we're going to a land that God's going to show us. And they all packed up. This is bigger in some senses than when God, or when Abraham took Isaac off by themselves and said, listen Isaac, God says I've got to sacrifice you. Just between the two of them. Here Abraham has to turn to his whole household and say, guess what guys? This is what God has called us to do. Who's with me? Or better yet said, who's with God? Who's willing to follow in obedience? And this rite of circumcision was a sign of a personal, intimate 
relationship with God. It was a sign that they were to be a separated people and were willing to submit in obedience to this this ceremony. And what we see here in this passage is a people who are identified as God's people. Abraham was called Abraham, a fruitful follower of God, willing to walk in obedience. And we too are called saints, literally holy ones. We're not. So many times, practically speaking, but God says that we are. And we're called to live holy lives, separate lives, lives cut off, separated to God. Not simply separated from the world, the flesh, and the devil. The implication is that we're separated by God, for God, to God, through Jesus Christ. His death and His Spirit's work in our hearts bringing us to new life. We're included in God's family. And as the new Son is identified by name here in this passage. The new son doesn't just share in a relationship with God through Abraham. It says twice in this final uh, section here that we've read. God says to Abraham, you know, All along, this relationship has been me and you, me and you, me and you. It's repeated there. But then God says, his promise is through this son, I will establish my covenant with him. And he says it twice and then he says with generations after him. And so each generation that comes along, everyone who is a part of this great family, everyone who is part of the multitude of nations personally, can have a relationship with God. Isn't that neat? It's something we're not just tagged into. We don't just ride on Abraham's coattails. But God says to Abram, this is an everlasting covenant. This is a relationship that I want to have with all of those personally who have faith in me. And God establishes His everlasting covenant with us personally. It's symbolized in the old covenant times through circumcision. And they built altars and they worshiped God. Now in the New Covenant times, we have a couple of rites, don't we? A couple of ceremonies that God, through Christ, has called us to continue to do. We gather around the Lord's table. We remember what Christ did on the cross through those elements. And then baptism. We remember we've been separated to God. And raised by a baptism that's not of water. To triumph in a salvation that is eternal because of Christ. And then we're called to go live what might seem a reckless, obedient faith. A faith in the almighty God who's transformed us and will continue to do so. Sometimes it doesn't seem so possible, does it? Sometimes even as we talk to God, disbelief wells up in our hearts and maybe we chuckle. (laughs) How can this be, God? How can it be that I am separated to you, that I am holy, that I'm righteous, I see my failings. I see my sin. But it's a reality that God says is true in Christ. And it's a reality that He calls us 
to live out in our day-to-day life. And as we walk in that faith, we will understand more its reality. Because we will see it happening. Happening through us. In His power through us. How do you identify this morning? Well, in this passage, in this story of Abraham, we see that by faith, we can say, I am a saint. I'm separated to God. And I'm saved eternally because of Jesus Christ. I trust that as we walk in this life, as we respond in the few things that God calls us to do in obedience to Him, that we'll understand more and more that true reality, that reality that is over and and beyond this struggling reality that we're a part of right now. And that we will know that the God who has called us saints will be faithful to bring that to fruition through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us. Help us in our practical day-to-day, today life. And as we go through the struggles and the failures and the sin, may we bring those before you and say, Lord, I confess, I failed again. But in Christ, because of Christ, I can accept the title you've given to me, the calling you have given me. I will. I will purpose in my heart by faith and trust to live for you once again. To honor you in all that I do. To live up to that standard that you've called us to in Christ. Not to be saved. Simply to live out all that you have already said is so. Is so for your children. Because of your grace. Because of your mercy. Lord, help us to have a right perspective on how what is true and what is a practical struggle comes together. And may we continue to be people of faith, confident in you and your word. May we love you more. May we live for you with a greater God-glorifying consistency in our day-to-day lives that you might be honored, not us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these truths and how they, we see them play out in, in real lives. Lord, it helps us understand how they can play out in our lives. May we be faithful. Amen.